Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad Garoon. Reverend David Ciancio. Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I think what's funny is about to transpire here. We start the show every week and we ramble on about hamburgers. I mean, arguably you and I are probably, you know, somebody might say the top burger influencers in the world or, you know, in New York City or, you know, this sort of our life, right? Like our life kind of revolves around hamburgers. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. Our life and our health, unfortunately. Yes, and I would argue you probably get asked all the time, Brad, should I get a burger here? Where should I go for this burger, right? You get that all the time? I get that all the time. Well, what is the one subject we have nothing to talk about today? We have no burgers to talk about. <laughs> I have The only hamburger I've eaten recently, we've already talked about it on the show. Yeah, man, and I, I haven't talked about I didn't even talk about one last week. I talked about your burger last week. I'm in a serious creative rut. That's true. You know, we could talk about we could talk about the most popular burger in America, McDonald's. Mm, well, I guess in one fashion or form that might be. Why don't you tell me what you're talking about? So you know the burger trends report that we just came out with at Schweiden Sons. Uh huh. Well, we did an addendum to it, and we looked at you know what was the most popular answer in every category: most popular cheese, veggie, bun, meat, all that stuff. And we came up with, like, what would be the most popular burger in America based on the number one answer in every category. Cool. Well, well, we did that. And then I reached out to our buddy, Chef Stephen Yen, over at the Ainsworth. And he thought it was really, really cool. And then he actually went and made us the hamburger. So he made the hamburger. We have tons of photos of it. It went all on our website. And then I got a little crafty and, uh, at Schweidensons. And we bought the most popular burger in America.com. And if you go to the most popular burger in America.com, you will see the most popular burger in America. Brad, what do you think is on it? Well, I was actually going to say, I don't want to spoil it for you. I'd love to help you drive traffic to schweidensons.com and would say like, you know, people should just go and check it out. But uh, what I do want to ask is, so let's not bury that lead. But what I want to ask is, was it delicious? Uh, I actually didn't eat it yet. <laughs> oh. but, Based upon what's on it, I don't know that I would like it. There's one con- there's one condiment in particular that would not that would turn me off. Is it the pickles? Uh, no, it's not the pickles. Is it the ketchup? It is the ketchup. I'm not oh, a ketchup eater. It's always the ketchup. You know, no, but I have a writer. No, I'm not even. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I also hate ketchup. I. Uh, so Burger Weekly has a few uh, correspondents from different parts of the country, and my former New Orleans editor and now my Miami editor she would send me these photos of burgers just drowning in ketchup and it would drive me crazy and I had to send her articles to prove and not just articles written by me but articles give to give her a consensus that this is not the best way to eat a burger look buddy sometimes people just enjoy living their life being wrong yeah who who are we to correct them but you know who we have to blame who McDonald's and Heinz I mean, look, I don't think ketchup is evil. I think it's good on french fries and an egg sandwich, but I, I think it's terrible for a burger. It's funny that you say that because I was about to call it an, an unholy alliance between those two corporations that have <laughs> meant that people are putting ketchup on their burger. Ketchup is delicious, but it's all sugar, and there's no place for that much tomato sugar on a burger. How do you feel about signature sauce? I'm all about signature sauce. Well, getting back to the topic, if people go to the most popular burger in America.com, 
we've also created a burger based on the top trending item from each category. So the top sauce, the top veggie, the top cheese, and signature sauce is the top sauce. So you and I, Brad, we may not be classic burger eaters. We might be trendy eaters. I'm okay with that. Speaking of this whole issue of being a trendy eater versus being a, uh, I guess, a common burger eater, I, an old school burger eater, sure. I, I judge very deeply women that I go out with who order burgers in a way that I consider to be wrong. Which I think is a very nice segue into our guest, Will Stivian, who is going to tell us all about how online dating apps have affected the restaurant turnover rate and the amount of money that a restaurant can make in a given night. Last month, the Washington Post reported on the effect that online dating apps like Tinder and Bumble have had on the restaurant industry's ability to turn over tables. Uh, our guest today says he could write an entire book about the phenomenon. Will Sivian has been both behind the scenes and at the front lines of several successful restaurant and bar openings uh, and operating partner with In Good Company Hospitality Group, including Bell Shoals, who we've talked about on the show, Trademark Taste and Grind, which is we've also talked about on the show, Refinery Rooftop, Winnie's, Parker & Quinn, Bungalow Bar, and Park Avenue Tavern. He is also the general manager of Libation, a very successful restaurant, lounge, and nightclub in New York City. Well, let's make this issue very, very clear for the listeners. How are dating apps affecting the restaurant business? Well, it's it's kind of taking over the whole um, happy hour and uh, nightlife scene by storm on my end. It's you have the couples that come in that don't drink enough, and then you have the couples that come in that drink too much. It's it's uh, it, it makes us hard um, as uh, curators of these people coming out to try to gauge what they um what their value is and if we should move them along or we should let them hang out it's touch and go with each couple put it that way so online dating you know it used to be a real fringe and stigmatized activity people who met online wouldn't tell tell their friends that they met their significant other online now it's over a two billion dollar industry over 40 million americans have given it a try at least once and a third of American couples that met between 2005 and 2012 met online. Do you think that this kind of success with online dating would even be possible without bars? I don't think it would be possible. I think the bars are the places that give these online applications the, um, I guess, the stage, if you will, to let let these dates run uh, run its course. And um, we kind of uh, we we. we we kind of are at the front lines of all of this, and uh, we, we see it all, man. We see it all. So before we get a little, we get any more deep into this, well, why don't you give everybody a little bit of bio and history on you and tell them how you got into this business? So I, I grew up in a uh, hospitality family back in Boston. Um, I opened my first restaurant with my uncle when, we were, when I was 13 years old, and uh, from there on moved on to um, corporate catering with cousins and my mother told me that I was not allowed to be in the hospitality industry. I had to go to college and I had to give a, a nine to five job an honest chance. So I ended up traveling from Boston to New York to attend Fordham. Um, I graduated at the tough time of 2008. I gave the two, two year honest chance to the nine to five life. And by 2010, I was full fledged back in the hospitality industry, which I think she knew at heart was going to happen. Um, and then, uh, through the New York circuit of bars and restaurants, I um, came across Inca Company Hospitality in its very early stages and started working at their Midtown location. And by 2011, I was 
general managing libation, and we were opening up places all over the city. Since you spent the better part of your adult life doing this, you've seen the New York City restaurant scene before online dating really took over, and you've seen it, and you've seen it now, obviously, and, and you're quite familiar with it. So when exactly did you start seeing this shift from folks who know each other coming in and they, you know, they have a normal relationship with each other, they're drinking a normal amount, and either staying a normal amount of time, to this phenomenon now where it's the too much or too little and it's hard to turn tables over? It's a good question. Um, in 2008 uh, to about 2010, I was still in the in the restaurant scene. I was bartending, um, and we had these uh, social. They were called um, social sports leagues, and these leagues were pretty much I called it virtual online dating. Uh, they met at the bars. They played kickball. They played dodgeball. Uh, social sports leagues, and they didn't have access to Tinder or any of those. Um, other uh, mediums to meet people. In about 2011, these social sports leagues started to dwindle drastically. Businesses were going out. Friends that started these kickball leagues were uh, losing their businesses, and then it was a full-on takeover of businesses like Tinder. And uh, they, there was not a need for social sports leagues anymore. So it 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 happened quick in about 2011. So do you think there's a direct connection between the end of like well, Zog Sports obviously still exists, but um, you know, the, the, you're right. There were a lot more of those those leagues going around back then, and and we don't see quite as much of them now. Do you think that's a direct, indirect relation to people are finding sex buddies elsewhere? You you are a hundred percent correct. Um, there is a direct correlation between that and um, people's heads are on their phones, man. People people don't have conversations like they used to, and uh, even with the few leagues that are left, they still aren't. Um, they're not conversing in uh, being as outgoing as they once were because they know that they don't have to. They know they can go right back to the old trusty uh, smartphone and go that way. And it's easier for them and it's less pressure. Just for fun, what is like the worst Tinder date you've ever witnessed? So my, my uh, favorite worst Tinder dates always happen post 3 a.m. when they think it's a good idea to meet up for a last call drink. I can't really, uh, I don't know if this, this talk show is X-rated, so I'm not going to go into details, but let's just say it happens all the time. And you, you, can, you, can, you can infer without using color. Go ahead. <laughs> um, they thought they were in their bedroom, but they were actually on the first floor of Libation. I think that would, could paint a picture. Oh, and how does that impact the customer service or the experience for the rest of the guests? Nobody wants to see that. Nobody needs to see that. And uh, it's, it's uncomfortable when you have to be the one that, that is going over and literally pulling them apart from each other. I mean, I think you were kind of alluding to this, but with with the amount of cell phones out there and the amount of smartphones people are using, I mean, we're, people used to meet in bars regardless, you know, whether it was Zog Sports or just hanging out with them. But, like, were we destined to get to this anyway? I believe we were destined, and I knew it without even knowing it. I started um, installing in my places phone charging stations, never really thinking it would be a real source of revenue. Fast forward five years later, and these things are literally generating a substantial amount of revenue that I never, I never even knew existed because people are desperate to charge their phones. And you can, you can uh, call it what it is, but I think we both know why they need their phones charged. For sure. And then when you've got these people who are coming in for last call and you know, they're engaging in activities that other customers don't want to see, how do you make the experience for those other customers tolerable? 
I think the the first um, plan of action is always to break the ice with the other customers, approach them, and be like, "Come on, you believe this?" and kind of get on their level so they know that you know that this is inappropriate. And then you kind of hope you give it the two minute rule. You kind of hope that it subsides. And then uh, I uh, always call it Plan B with the flashlight in the face, being like, "Come on, guys, everybody's got an apartment somewhere in New York City. Wrap it up, go to your apartment." Speaking of folks not wrapping it up. What kind of financial strain has this trend put on your restaurants? How much more money could you be making at Libation if these blind first dates or these blind last calls weren't happening? I think it's uh, a double-edged sword. I think that there is money lost because, I mean, let's let's be truthful. They're not really drinking. But um, in this day and age, it also helps to have a base crowd. So if they're a, a normal a normal couple trying to snip each other's butts and figure it out, I don't really have an issue with that. But it's when it's the awkward first date and the energy of the room changes because these people are clearly uh, not vibing with each other. Um, they're taking up a bar stool. A bar stool in, at Libation is forty forty to sixty dollars a person on average. So it's a it's a hit or miss game that we're playing. I think the three of us need to start a new dating network called Blind Last Call um, and then just not allow them in, in your bars, Will. I think I have some security footage that we can, uh, we can start advertising immediately with. What is the app? If you're, you're, what, what's the app? What's the idea? Blind Last Call. No, you're just giving me a name. What is the, what is the idea? That, like that, the, it is literally for people who want to hook up after 3 a.m. Oh, that app exists. It's called Tinder. Okay. But we need. But we're we're gonna do a new Tinder, and we're gonna market it with a reality TV show. Perfect, and it only starts at 3 a.m. You have one hour <laughs> window to hook up. We could be like Big Brother after dark. It could just be live, and we just have somebody gunning which 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 channels to be on. I'm into it. Where do I sign up? <laughs> All right, Brad. Let, let, let's get on it. Is there a way that restaurants should be looking at dating apps as a way incentivizing customers to like come in and spend more money? I'm sure you guys are familiar with Tinder Tuesdays, and uh, Tinder Tuesdays doesn't ma- necessarily uh, mean it happens on a Tuesday, but uh, it's more so, um, for the way I interpret it, uh, it's the slower times of the beginning of the week where people are going on these uh, dating dating app dates, um, and it's not really like a, a jamming Friday or Saturday night. It's not really affecting business, and it's actually... Not the worst thing in the world to not have an empty bar, even if it's these pe- these people on dates that aren't spending as much money as an, as a normal customer. Um, I think you could do two, two for ones. We could start there and uh, and work our way up. You know. Do you just then end up feeding the beast? Like if you're trying to maximize, like look, obviously, you know, in the food service business, it's Monday night and Tuesday night typically not that busy. You know, that's why happy hours exist and you know Tinder Tuesdays or whatever. But like. If you start to become that bar and you market that bar, do you does it end up biting you on the backside? We all struggle in good ways and bad ways in this industry to, to juggle our reputation, and we don't want to necessarily be one only one thing to only one group of people. I think if it's marketed right and if it's if it's uh, the platform is set correctly, it could be profitable. But you again, you're you're dangling the carrot. Um, to attract all of these, all of these people—the good, bad, and ugly—and uh, it has to be one of those, one of those things that has to be closely monitored. Do you ever get phone calls from these organizations, like the dating apps, looking to do specific events at your venues? Has that happened? Did a party two months ago. <laughs> and and how did that how did that play out? 
it's just like every every Tinder date for for more uh, for better or for worse. It was it was a little bit awkward, and then people got a little bit drunk, and then they just stood there and didn't didn't really drink at all or spend any money, but they were kind of on their uh, their four speed datings with with each other. It's not everybody in the industry knows that has has done these events before. They're not profitable. It's one of those things where you want to want to get a base crowd in. You want to get a base crowd in early, and uh, sometimes it's, it's a necessary evil. Of uh, of doing business. So one of my favorite phenomena of that goes along with the online dating uh, app world is you know it makes it a lot easier for anyone, a man or a woman, to go on a lot of dates in a given week. Uh, but one of the side effects of that is some people will choose one bar and have bring all of their dates there. So have you noticed, or has your staff noticed, at any of, at any of the um, in good company hospitality restaurants? That there are regulars who bring different women there every time, or girls who bring different guys there every time. This is this is something that we see at all the places all the time, and it's um, it's a bit awkward at first, but once you kind of get in the mentality of the guest and you kind of know what his stick is, um, it makes it more it more laughable than anything. Um, it's a lot worse when you see that they <laughs> that uh. They're in serious relationships and they're, and they're doing stuff like this, which unfortunately does happen as well. But uh, it's it's definitely a, a common phenomenon that that we see. I've I've been like very careful in my dating life to to keep a balance. I, for a while, there were a couple bars in certain neighborhoods where I'd be like, "Oh my god, I was here already this week. This is not working out for me." The staff knows, and I'd be very embarrassed. But I know there are a lot of people in New York who really don't care, and I'm just curious, like what. Well, yeah, what do you tell your staff to do in that situation? Because obviously you can't call out someone who is, for better or worse, a regular customer. We, t- we, tell, them, we tell them to play goldfish. Play goldfish. Pretend like you don't know. What, can you explain what play goldfish means? It's the first time I've heard that. You know, have you ever heard that goldfish has a three-second memory? Uh, yes, I've definitely heard that. So, more or less, don't pretend like you don't remember the last time they were in there. Play dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. All right. So when you have you have a couple that is clearly on a Tinder date or you know a blind date or whatever, and you're looking at potentially losing revenue because they're just taking up a seat and they're futzing around, or you know maybe they're so engrossed with a conversation. Um, you know, do, do you you may not think this far in advance, but probably actually you do. Do you have like a, uh, an instruction for your staff, like, hey, go to this table every 15 minutes and like force drinks on them, like, hey, do you want to order this? Do you want food? Do you want that? At at some of our fine dining locations, it's just you have to the guest comes first, and you can't really force things. Um, at libation, it's a little more loose, uh, so to speak, and um, we we do the check drop. And this this stuff happens more at Libation than than the other places, believe me. And uh, the check drop is usually an effective way to be like, "Hey guys, thanks for coming in. Here's your bill whenever you get a chance." And they, most for the most part, get the message. So you're not even trying to keep them in there. You're trying to get them out. You in this industry, you kind of know when when a when a, a customer is spent and when they're when they've had enough or when they're just not going to spend anymore. Uh, to be frank, and um, that's when it's time to drop the check. In that case, you're really sparing the person on the date who's more interested a whole lot of heartache and, and wasted time. So yeah. you're, doing a, you're doing a service. Yeah, and you, you know what, what you get a lot, too, is um, you end up making best... When it's, a, when it's a bad date, you end up making 
buddies. The bartender will end up making buddies with the person who needs to get out of there. So they, they'll end up making a, a getaway, almost a getaway scheme, drop the check or um, uh, get me out of this date. What can you do? Talk to me. Don't leave me kind of thing. And uh, you see that a lot all the time too. Uh, you, you, you touched on this. I'm curious if we could dive into it a little bit more. Um, you mentioned that libation, you know, you, you get more dates there than you would at, say, I don't know, probably at Park Avenue Tavern. But how can we, can we go through the, the restaurants that you work with? Which ones are, are really affected by this more than others and why? Well, we'll start with libation. Libation is just in the, uh, the, the epicenter of the hot zone right now in New York City and the Lower East Side. So you do have a, a, a lot of young people that use social media that know, know how the apps work um, and that, that, that's a very easy place for them to meet up at. Uh, Park Avenue Tavern in Midtown uh, I've def definitely sees its fair share of dates. It's young. It's corporate. Not too young. Um, so it's a little bit out, aged out of the Tinder, um, the Tinder realm. Uh, the refinery rooftop, I'm sure, sees its, its fair share of dates. But as you get to more of the higher end venues, it, you see less and less because it, again, as we uh, come full circle in this conversation, it's not cheap to go on Tinder every night. So um, as as I like to think, and uh, as my, the staff tells us, it seems like libation is the front runner in all of this. Brad, the question is, how many times have you taken a Tinder date to Libation? I've actually, I'm embarrassed to say I've never been to Libation. <laughs> but, to redeem myself in the eyes of our guest, I've had burgers at Park Avenue Tavern and Bell Shoals and, and Trademark. All are great. Big fan. Uh, but never, I've actually never taken a date to anywhere. Oh, but I have taken dates to Bell Shoals. And I think, see, I think I did this that upset the staff. There's a big table in the corner, and it, and it actually brings me to my next question. There's a big table in the corner at Bell Shoals, and it could probably seat, what, 10 people if you need to. Uh, but when the, rest, when the bar was a little more empty, I, my date and I sat back there, a little bit of drinking, not a lot, though, a little bit of smooching, and I thought the whole time felt pretty guilty about the fact that I was taking up this space on a date. So do you try to set up the dining room or the bar area in a way where you can say to your staff, let's try to keep the dates in this area so that we can keep more serious or hire more potential spenders in a different area? So we try to set up the dining room in all the places to meet the needs of the uh, most common um, groups of guests that come in. So your two tops, your four tops, your six tops. And then what we try to do um, in the flow of business is ca casually suggest, hey, can I get, take you guys to this table? Can I walk you over to this table? This section's perfect for you guys. And uh, obviously, guests have preferences, and and if we have the space, we always try to accommodate. And uh, that goes without saying with all the places. And um, we we try generally not to sit two tops at ten tops uh, in any of the places because uh, you never know what's walking in or what we have reserved. But um, I think a good a good rule of thumb that to live by for us is, hey guys, you can if they really want a table, you guys can sit at this table for now. And if I have a bigger group, I'm going to move you guys to another table that, that's a better fit for you. I just want to give you the early heads up. Uh, there's no surprises. Yada yada yada. I think that we've discovered a a tertiary market here, and I think that if we wanted to start a bar that was Tinder date friendly, you could call up. Say for twenty bucks, 
you could have the bar on your side. Hey, I'm coming in for a tender date at 10 o'clock. If I order this drink, it means cut it off at 15 minutes. If I order this drink, uh, you know, keep it going. Like, I think that that's a, you could, we could make a whole business out of this. This could be like the StubHub type idea for Tinder dating at bars. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Um, conversely, and I don't mean to shoot down a business idea because God forbid we make any money here, but you could also accomplish this just by becoming friends with a bartender. The bar should always be on your side, and uh, I've been a firm believer of that uh, well before the age of 21. And uh, if you just if you just have that conversation with the bartender while your date's in the bathroom, the bartender and will be on your side. It's uh, and if the bartender's on your side, you're in the wrong bar. I don't know, man. Well, I'm clearly married with a kid, so this is completely irrelevant for my life. But I did used to own a bar, and I appreciate revenue. So if somebody had called us when we owned a bar and said, look, here's the deal. Give me an extra this, that, the other thing. Even if it was just like a bigger tip for my staff, we, I think we would have taken it. Well, the, the first rule in this business is if someone offers you money, you take it. Isn't that, am I right? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, especially yeah. the competition in New York City. Yep. Uh, do you think that there are other ways that you know a restaurant can work? Like, by the way, I do think that's a great business idea. But if, is there a way to make these work positively? Right? Like, you know, this is going to happen. You have the type of bar where these things go down. There's that 3 a.m. Tinder date every night. You know, do you think that there's a way to look this in the face and go, okay, here's how we're going to maximize this. Here's how we're going to make it work and come up with that plan. Well. I hate to do this because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it, and uh, I'm a, a guy who runs nightclubs that do, that doesn't go to nightclubs because it's we make like a place like Libation, we call it a pub club. It's a fun place that normal people can go and hang out and not get banged over the head money-wise. Um, but I know a, a tactic for for squatters, a good tactic would be um, minimums, stool minimums. And if you go go ahead and say uh, you only hold it to people like that are on Tinder or any any of these other um, sites. They're just going to say that they're just friends hanging out. So if you do, if you're experiencing a problem or you want to be proactive uh, in this this online dating world, um, the stool minimum would be the way to go. So do we take this in the realm of like SantaCon? Like, can you be looked at as cool if you are like an anti-Tinder bar? If you're just same as like, hey, no SantaCon, welcome here, or is that out of my mind? Put it this way, man. There's haters everywhere. You'll always have some haters on your side, and I'm sure that uh, there'd be a group out there that would love you for it. I'm the wrong person to ask. I'm 42, married and with a kid. I like to be in a bar where there's nobody. So, <laughs> Where do you think this is going? Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? And how are you going to take this trend and make the most of it going forward? I think that it's definitely going to get uh, worse before it gets better, but I think like all fads, it will run its course. It will come and go. Um, I, like you guys, came up in the uh, the old-fashioned way of meeting a girl at a bar and asking, asking her out on a date, and this was before the, 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 uh, the Tinderellas of the world came out. Um, I think that we, we can combat it with just communicating with each other, communicating with the guests, and uh, overall making guests talk to, talk to one another, talk to the bartenders, talk to the staff, keeping guests' heads out of their phones. I think that would be the, the, the best way to uh, move forward and move out of this, this fad that we found ourselves in. I mean, I may have come up like you guys not in this fad, but I'm definitely a part of it now. I, you know what? Listen, I, I, I think that 
I don't think it's going away. I don't think it's going to change. I think it's going to get worse. And I think that because we're in New York City, we probably see the worst of it. I mean, nobody nobody moves here because they're looking to get married and have kids. Everybody comes here for self-goal. Hey, I want to do this with my career. I want to be that person. I want to meet this. I want to get to that accomplishment. And career and self is way first in this town than any other town in America, uh, perhaps the world. And I think this Tinder dating app thing is just like it fits into the New York City lifestyle. And I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's actually going to make people more disposable. I, mean, I don't know how that's going to affect the bar business, but I see it. I see it going further before it retracts. I agree. Um, but as someone who's who's uh, who's living it, it definitely feels. And and you know, uh, so I'm the kind of person who I moved to the city uh, with a serious girlfriend, and then I've had a couple of long-term relationships as my close to a decade in the city have gone by. And every time I become single again, it's harder to get into something after that because. We see people as disposable, and the dates become weirder and weirder. To be honest, the um, the dates that you that happen from online, but they're still better than having a friend set you up because your friends have no idea what's good for you. <laughs> what do you think, Will? I think the the social pressures as you get older um, will will lead to to keep to keep this going to keep the ball rolling. But I also I have a fear that it's it's not exactly the safest thing in the world, and a few a few bad apples could ruin the bunch, and that that could lead to the end of this. And uh, God forbid, it's crazy that we haven't seen more uh, or heard more horror stories um, from this. But uh, the world's a crazy place, and um, I think that that as it becomes more prevalent, uh, it's going to become more dangerous, and uh, that's what makes it um, nervous for me for. The industry that I'm in, because it, it's the police are going to go back to the bar she was at or the bar he was at, kind of thing. And uh, I think that will curtail. Before I mean, obviously we all agree it's going to get worse before it gets better, but uh, I think that that will lead to that. They could definitely use more safeguards on these apps than there are. Some of them are total free for alls. It, do, it doesn't make me want to have a daughter anytime soon. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, that that's a good a point as anywhere to segue this conversation. Will some really really good information, really good insight. I think you know you you you've seen this from a different a different uh, level with many different places, and so uh, whether this is the the new norm or not, I think that you've given a good look into in what this is. Uh, with that, we're going to segue into how we end every show, uh, and we are going to ask you what is your favorite burger from childhood. I was spoiled as a child, and my best friend's father owned a uh, meat distribution company for high-end restaurants called Canelli Meats, and we had all the finest blend uh, meats, burgers, steaks, whatever we wanted as a kid, and uh, and we, ne we never even really craved to go out. And I'm sure you guys know too, Boston's not that big of a burger town, so uh, this this got me started in the, in the right direction at, at a young age. Hold on. Did you just say Boston is not a burger town? Richard Chuddy's going to be so mad. I, hold, no, no, no. Well, I want to discuss this. Really? So I, I, I always make the joke, and my friends back home want to kill me. Boston's about 10 years behind New York in uh, every aspect, fashion, food, you name it. And um, they're starting to come around burger-wise, but uh, I, I wouldn't say it's what it's known for. So I wish I had a better, uh, a better place to say, you've got to get a burger here. But um, oh, I don't. Man. I'm not gonna lead. I'm not gonna lead you guys astray. Be good, you burger, tasty burger. I be, mean, uh, be good is bad. 
I'm not saying I'm not saying it's I'm not saying any of these are good or bad. Wahlburgers, but I do think that <laughs> Boston might it might not be New York. I definitely think that Boston is putting itself on the burger map. I I will not argue with that, but um, from a guy who's lived in New York for uh about half his life, and then in Boston for the the previous half, um, from childhood we really didn't have much. We made our own. We were self-sufficient. <laughs> All right. Well, I would I would agree that that Boston is scrappy. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it, it can be from New York. We're not going to force you to pick a Boston burger, but what's the best burger you had recently? It's hard to not be biased at any of the, any of the locations that I'm affiliated with, but um, I got to go with JG Melons, man, and, and that place is the consistency, the uh, the the everything about it, the atmosphere. Um, it's always right. It's always on point. Appreciate your diplomacy, uptown or downtown? There's a downtown. <laughs> <laughs> that was the right answer. <laughs> But but for our audience, yes, there is a, there is a second location now in Soho. <laughs> well, what is the what's the one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? The one the one piece of advice I would give it's stay consistent. If you if you're doing a campaign, if you're doing a launch, uh, doing a new menu, and you have your doubts, things aren't working out, stay the path, stay the course, stay consistent. Thanks. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and. And helping us do this episode that's a little bit different from, from a lot of our episodes, uh, but it was a lot of fun and some good insights. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can learn more about you and Libation and Good Company Hospitality Group? Everybody can learn more about us uh, in Good Company Hospitality. Um, you can go to our website, ingoodcompanyhospitality.com, and all of our venues and restaurants and things that we have going on are listed there for you to check out. And uh, any questions, always feel free to email us as well. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.